<laughs> I'm going to get you guys all fired up right now. <laughs> it's like, okay, calm down. Quit swing, swinging from chandeliers. <laughs> I'd probably be the first one up there, man, because it's like, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. That was exciting. Well, only because it's so true. He will never let go. He will never, ever, ever let go of you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you're at right now. You know, He will not let go of, of, of us. And again, I mean, it's interesting. Again, we'll kind of be looking at that even tonight. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you guys that this weekend is uh, Harvest America. And, uh, I mean, be praying not only for what's going to happen here, but it's going to be go, uh, being shown in hundreds and probably thousands of churches, and not just churches, but in people's homes. Because people, you could have set it up at your house and invited all your family to come over and, and do it at home. And we decided to do it on, on a little bigger scale. We're going to have the TVs going. We have a screen that rolls down right here. We're going to have a projection up here. And so we'll have it on three different screens here. And... Uh, the other day we were testing it, and I'm just like getting so excited, going, okay, Lord, what are you going to do, you know? Um, I have a tendency of, uh, you know, I keep on saying, Lord, I don't want to limit you. I don't want to uh, hold you back. And then I start getting like panicky in my little pea brain up here, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Lord, you know, but, you know and I start uh, getting worried. And it's like, why are you worried? I'm the one that's doing the work. It's like, I know, I know, I know, but, 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 you know, and it's that kind of stuff that like, oh, I get mad at myself for limiting God. And so I don't know what he's going to do. I really don't, except that I've handed it off to some of these cats here that are willing to run with it and to do it. And I'm just going to sit back and watch what God does myself, you know, and just um, be praying. You know, I've been around town and seeing a lot of the flyers around and Man, there's several people that are getting, they're coming into the office, hey, let me have a hundred of those. And, you know, not the big flyers, but the little whatever size things. And, and to go out and do it, and it's like, go for it, go for it. And so, again, just be in prayer for that, guys. I, I just before we get in, let's just take a moment of quiet. And I just want you to pray for Harvest America this evening. And as soon as you're done praying for Harvest America and what God wants to do, just pray for me as... Um, as we get get going here. So nice and quiet, just before the Lord. Thank you. 
And Father, bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get into Acts chapter 25, and as we go through this whole chapter, from here on out we will be going chapter by chapter until we finish the book of Acts. And uh, Since Paul was seized... Um, back in chapter 21 to the end of chapter 24 that we just finished last week. Um, it's kind of been a whirlwind of uh, false accusations, allegations, and charges that have been put or that have uh, been mounting against him. And they have amounted to nothing. Um, the whole time that he has been going through this, it just uh, he's been he, he he's had to face uh, crowds. He's had to face commanders and military soldiers and and priests and high priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, and a governor and the first lady of the the governor. All of that in the span of two weeks. In in, in that time frame. He has gone through all these things from chapter 21 to the end of chapter 24. He, he, he's had to deal with this whole thing and all the while he has been in custody. Again, just over false allegations, false accusations. Um, he hasn't been able to roam free wherever he's wanted to go. He's had to be confined to a certain place. And again, Paul, when, when we've gone through the book of Acts and we've seen his his, his, his travels, um, he's been all over the place. And now for the last two weeks, and I'm sure there was other times in his life where he couldn't travel the way he wanted to, but the, for the last two weeks, he's just been kind of locked up in, in the sense that he just doesn't have the freedoms that he had before in that sense. Knowing, again, once again, that, that the Lord had led him to Jerusalem and understanding and accepting the difficulties that would happen to him there. We, we, we never get a sense in these last two weeks of his life, not of our life here, it, 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 we, we never get the sense that, that he is upset or mad. We, we, we never see him really like bummed out or discouraged. Uh, again, he might have been, but we don't get that from that. I, as I've been looking at it and studying it, I don't get that that he is, is, is anything like that. But how many of us, how many of us would be that patient? How many of us would be that unwavering if we had a two-week span in our lives that kind of looked a little bit like Paul's? To where people were coming against us left and right. Allegations were being made against us. And, and it was just hard hitting it seemed like. And we didn't have the freedom to just break through. And, and we were just like confined. And we're like, ah! And you just want to like explode. How many of us would, would have that patience that Paul had? You know, he, he, he knew what God had called him to do. He, he had told him. But how many of us would, would stand up to that opposition day in and day out, just for two weeks or so? It, it's been somewhere around that time frame. I, I, I think when, when we're going through a hard time, and let's just say that it's been two weeks or so, 
I, I think we would begin to, to question if God really spoke to us or if He had spoken to us. We, we, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be questioning if, if He was really still there for us because it just seems nothing is going right. Everything keeps on going wrong. Everybody comes against me and I know, God, you're giving me the strength, but man, it's just, it's hard. I think we, we would get to the point where we would be questioning if God really even existed, going, I can't believe you're letting this happen in my life. And if anyone had the right to question in that sense, it would be the Apostle Paul. Again, he's going through one of those difficult times and it just seemed like it was non-stop for a few weeks. But remember what Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount when we we're kind of going through that way back in the beginning. I think Mark taught on it back in the day. Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we read that as like, yeah, right on. It's like, okay, after a day of persecution, yeah, I could, I could handle that. A few days. Going into the, like, the second week is like, really, God? Are you serious? Really, how much do I have to be blessed? <laughs> because they're coming against me and the persecution is nonstop. How, how can I continue to rejoice, O Lord, when, and, and be exceedingly glad when, when they continue to do this and that reward in heaven? Can I get some of that reward right now? And kind of like, <laughs> I just need some rest. Because again, we can read these things and then all of a sudden, when we're going through the middle of it, we forget that. We forget the portion where it says, blessed are you <laughs> when, when, when they revile you and, and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. And Paul was in the midst of this. That's where we find Paul. When, when, when Paul was converted on his way to Damascus, as he arrived in Damascus and was in a house, he sent a disciple by the name of Ananias to him, to minister to him, to encourage him, to, to, to pray for him. And even as he hesitated to go to Paul, he, he went because the Lord told him, go. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, he tells Ananias, go. He is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was not promised a bed of roses. Not one bed. And neither is any of Jesus' believers promised a bed of roses. And I think we have a misconception that everything should be good. Everything should, should just flow to where nothing bad ever happens. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we are blessed beyond belief, you know. And, and again, going, not that I've been to a lot of countries, but going to like Ecuador and stuff like that, you know, we, we, we meet the brothers and sisters over there. And yeah, there, there's, it's a little bit more tension there, but not a lot. But I've never been to one of those countries like where the pastor is right now in, in Iran that's, that's being, you know, tortured and, 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 and imprisoned and, and things like that. I've, I've never been to those places. But God has promised that, that we would face tribulation. He, he never promised us smooth sailing. It's quite the opposite. But he did promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. He would never leave us alone. He would never. And I know that our trials are different from other people's trials, it seems like, but they're trials nonetheless. <laughs> I don't take those lightly either. But Jesus promised his Holy Spirit he promised that the Holy Spirit would come alongside like a comforter. One who, who, who would be there for us continually. And He would never leave us. And, and, and we've been reading, a couple of times we've covered the, the scripture in Matthew where it says that when we are delivered up, don't worry. He will give you the things to say when you need to say them. He will give us the right words to say when needed. And that's where Paul finds himself or found himself in this situation time and time again in the last few weeks or so of his life here. And so Acts chapter 25, we'll cover the first 12 verses and then the, the rest of it. Now when Festus had come to the, to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem then the high priests and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul and, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should, should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went up to Caesarea, or he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting at the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Well, he answered for himself, neither against the, the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the, to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong as you very well know. For I am, for if I am an offender... 
or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar and then Festus. When he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. When, when I was kind of looking at this and, and just kind of going at this here, I, I, I was reminded of the last verse in 24, in chapter 24. Because it said that after two years, Pontius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, uh, bound, uh, left Paul bound. From, from the last verse of chapter 24 to the first verse of chapter 25, two years, two years have, 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 have played out in Paul's life. And, and, and so now let's put this in perspective. <laughs> what have you been able to do in the last two years? Think about it. Think, think a little bit. Think back. In the last two years, what have you been able to accomplish? Where have you gone? What have you done? How, how, how many people in your life has, have changed? How many people have come in and out? What have you accomplished in two years' time? That's a long time, isn't it? Two years is, is quite a bit of time to, to accomplish so many things. How, 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 many, how many heartaches have you gone through in the last two years? How many joys have you gone through? How, how, how many changes have happened in your life in the last two years? <laughs> When we put things in perspective like that, when you start thinking about your own life in the last two years, it doesn't go from like one verse to the next. <laughs> you know, we go from one verse to the next and then we, we just keep on reading and I'm thinking, I'm going, I'm going, two stinking years have passed here. And poor Paul, nothing is happening in his life. He is locked up. He has been forgotten. You know, it, it reminds me of Joseph, you know, when, when he was you know, back in the day, and, and he was forgotten in the prison. And it's like, man, time does go by, huh? Day after day after day, and after a while you look back, it's like, man, two years, it's been a long time. We, we, we don't hear that anything bad happened to Paul in this time frame. We, we, we don't hear that there was trial after trial after trial, and, and, and we, we don't hear about that. It could be. It could be that that was happening. It was probably like the, the OJ trial just lingered forever, you know, just went on and on and on. But we do know that he has promised Rome to him, and nothing has happened. He's still in Caesarea. You know, God promises things in our life and then we want them like right now, yesterday. <laughs> if that's possible, God. And he says, no, I need you to wait. It's like what, like a week, two weeks at the max, you know? Because once you go after two weeks, it's like, come on, Lord. Why are you making me wait so long? And we don't hear Paul getting discouraged here. We don't see that Paul is getting bummed out. It's like, Lord, <laughs> this whole Rome business, are you sure you spoke to me? He, he, we don't hear him thinking those things. It's quite possible that he did, but, but it doesn't tell us anything like that. So, a lot has happened. And Felix had left. 
And all that while, Felix knew that he was sitting there. And it's quite possible that he kept on calling him in to talk to him, but never let him go. And that he had never really been charged with anything. He had some kinds of freedoms, but he really wasn't free. And so now, there's a new guy in town. And not a lot is known about Portius Festus here. But it does seem that he wants to do something good. <laughs> he wants to do the right thing in this new position as governor. And he knew that he would have to work with the Sanhedrin over in Jerusalem because they were like the Supreme Court on Jewish matters, on religious matters. And so he, he needed to, to, to go and meet with them. And within three days, he, he goes, after being in the province, he goes and he, and he meets with them over in Jerusalem. And he is about to get a quick lesson um, when it comes to religious or Jewish politics. <laughs> All of a sudden, as they meet with him, they begin to lobby him, asking for favors. You scratch my back, I will scratch your back. We, you, you, you just adhere to some of the things that we do on a normal basis, kind of underneath here that nobody really sees. You, we'll, we'll tell you what's going on, but you just make sure you do what we tell you to do. And so they're, they're lobbying him. They're trying to butter him up. They're trying to get on his good side. And the first order of business as they are coming to him is dealing with the issue of Paul. Now understand, again, it's been two years. It's been two years. It doesn't tell us that the Sanhedrin had anything to do with Paul. But, but man, it just seems that Paul is still living in their heads rent-free for two years. They have not forgot about him. They are always constantly thinking about Paul, and he is like a thorn in their side. And I'm sure that every time they had met with Felix, they had brought Paul up. But it never says that they had met with Paul or, or stuff like that. But he put him off, and he kept on putting him off. And now, this new guy that's in town, they're trying to prejudice him right from the get-go against this Paul, if he doesn't know about him already. Let, let, let me share with you what I kind of got in these first four verses. And yes, we will do the whole chapter. But what, what, as I was looking at this, I'm going, man, it's been two years and these people have such hatred and unforgiveness. These religious leaders... Who, who, who should have known the law, who should have understood the law, who, who should have understood about what mercy means and grace. But for two years, there's this hatred and this bitterness that is in their hearts. And I, and I was tripping out in the sense that as they're asking them for a favor, it doesn't say that they told them what their real plan was, but the underlining plan was, hey, why don't you just call them over? And they had already been dealing together with themselves. It's like, hey, if we get this guy, this new Festus to, to bring him, hey, let's just ambush him and kill him. Can you imagine if I kind of stood up here? It's like, hey, guess what me and the board have been talking about? There's a guy that we really just want to get, like, kind of like, get him, whack him. We want to, want to do him in. You guys are going, here, here. We're all in agreement. Can you imagine? That's what these minds are thinking. I'm thinking, man, this hatred is deep-rooted. 
Hatred and, and unforgiveness robs people of a normal life. It steals and cheats and imprisons people. And this group of, of people were not satisfied in keeping Paul ineffective in prison. Although he probably wasn't that ineffective. He was probably still effective in prison. But they wanted him dead and nothing less would do. That was their primary objective. To do Paul in. And they wanted Paul sent to Jerusalem to stand trial. But that wasn't their motive. It was to kill him. And and I'm sure those... 40 men who had taken an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul, I'm sure by now they're pretty hungry and thirsty for blood. <laughs> I'm sure they had gotten out of that, their oath. That would have been so fu- such a funny scene to me if they were hiding in ambush and he never got there and somebody looked back there after a couple of months and years and there's just this pile of bones. It's like, Still waiting because they weren't going to eat or drink until they killed Paul. But those guys, I'm sure, were the first to volunteer. It's like, man, I'll get back on that oath and I'll kill this man this time. <laughs> Another thing that I, that I saw here was that God was still work or doing a work on behalf of Paul. He was still doing a work on behalf of Paul here that after two years, nothing really had happened to get him to Rome. And, and to me, this speaks on Paul's behalf as far as commitment and patience on his part, that, that he, he still trusted in the Lord, even though um, there was nothing happening in his life. It, it, it seemed like, like he hadn't given up. And, and after so many years of walking with the Lord, it just seems that so many people get tired. If things aren't happening the, the, the way they thought, you know, many who started off in the Jesus movement are not in the Jesus movement no more because, well, Jesus just didn't move the way they thought he would because he was supposed to come a long time ago. And he just hasn't. And so I've got to get busy doing something else. But this speaks a lot to me about Paul's commitment and patience and his trust in the faithfulness of God, that even though there was no fruit on the vine, he would continue to serve him. He would continue to be patient and hang on to the promises. God, God was working, interestingly enough, in the heart of Festus, not to accept the premise or the argument that, these Jewish, that the Jewish council was, was telling them, telling him. He wasn't going to be swayed. And even though Festus had no, no vested interest in Paul, it, it, it seemed that he wasn't going to go along with their lobbying. I, I don't know if he was familiar with Paul, Paul's case or not. And, and I guess what I, I, I see here is never underestimate the work of God in unlikely places and with unlikely sources. Paul had no clue that he was being discussed in Jerusalem at that time when Festus was over there. He, he, I, I don't think he had a clue that they still had this 
deep-seated hatred for him in the sense that they still wanted to kill him. You, you, you never know what God is, is doing on your behalf somewhere else with other people. How He's already doing a work and you have no clue what's ahead. Who He might be using. What circumstances are being orchestrated even right now for you in the future. You know, I, I guess sometimes because we... We sometimes sit back and it's like, Lord, there's nothing going on. Man, oh man, these things used to happen in my life, but look at where I'm sitting right here and nothing is going on in my life. And it's like, bro, don't give up. Because you don't know what He is already orchestrating, what He's already planning in the future. You just never know. It seems that when when things are not happening, we, we feel like God has abandoned us. And He never has. He never will. And again, could it be possible, or is it possible, could it be that that you're, you're being tested in your resolve, in your determination and steadfastness, in these times when there's no fruit on the vine? When, when, when it doesn't seem like anything is going your way, could it be that God's, Allowing the testing of your faith to see if you will still trust in Him when you can't see it. And, and, and again, I, I, I look at this because I see Paul for two years. He's been sitting there and all of a sudden things are going on that he has no clue that he's going to be standing before the Sanhedrin once again. And it might have been two years prior to that 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 ever happened. And he is still sitting in prison and nothing has happened in his life. And I'm sure Festus wanted to, to appease and placate and, 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 and pacify the Sanhedrin. But the decision was made that they were to come down to Caesarea. He would not bring Paul. And I'm sure that he thought that he had made this decision on his own. But God was the one that was at work behind the scenes. God was the one that, that put it in that man's heart not even a believer, to say, no, I'm not going to bring Paul. You're going to come down and, and, and you, he will be able to face his accusers down where he's at right now. And so from verses 5 to, to 12 there, he tells them, therefore he, he said, let those who have authority come down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. I find it ironic that all those who who had the authority, who who could throw their weight around and make things happen, that they thought that they were all that, that they had so much power. And and the the verse that kept on coming to mind, I didn't put it down, but it kept on coming. You have no authority unless it's been given to you by God. All these guys have no clue that they are being used to get Paul to Rome. They are being played, in other words. They are being played. And, and as the narrative switches or shifts to Caesarea, and all the players or all who are being played are in their place, Paul is brought out 
before them. Now, to the untrained eye, Paul would look like this poor, pathetic prisoner coming out after two years. It looked like maybe he came out of some rat hole. And all eyes are on him. But he is not the underdog here. He is not the, on, the, the underdog. He is the only one in that whole arena that is full of the Holy Spirit. He is the only one. He is not the underdog there. He is not some poor, pathetic prisoner here. He is the one that has the Spirit of God upon him. And he comes out with boldness. He is not afraid. <laughs> because he knows that the Holy Spirit is about to speak for him. It says that those who came down laid many serious complaints, accusation, grave accusations against Paul, but none of those things could be proven. And even though it doesn't tell us what these accusations were, Paul gives us an idea of, of, of what they were when he answers in verse 8, when he says, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. They were still up to their old tricks, still bringing these same old stupid accusations that they could not prove. They didn't bring, they didn't bring their fancy lawyer this time. They, they, they didn't do anything like that. They just figured, you know what, this new governor will be on our side because he wants to placate us. And, and all of a sudden, things aren't going their way because Festus finds himself here, in a sense, in a little bit of a quandary here, in a, in a dilemma. He finds himself in a sticky situation, to say the least. He may have been thinking at this time, why did I bring Paul? Why didn't I bring Paul up to Jerusalem? Why did I have to bring all these guys down here and make this big old show? They, they, they can't even prove anything. I should have just had him up there. And here's another situation where I see the fingerprints of God all over. It's interesting because Festus asks him, hey, maybe you should come up or would you be willing to go up to Jerusalem? And it wasn't up to the prisoner to make that decision. It's up to the governor to make that kind of decision. And yet, Festus has no clue that he is playing into God's plan. <laughs> and again, God is using all of this because he asks him, don't you want to go up to Jerusalem? And, it, and, and it's almost like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better, Paul, if you, if you did that? And Paul's answer should have been, been there, done that, got the scars to prove that. I don't need to go anymore. But instead, as he is being led by the Holy Spirit, and he was speaking through him and for him, Paul stands up and eventually says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat he 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 in his boldness stands up in the boldness of the holy spirit and begins to speak and he is speaking like a believer should speak when he is full of the holy spirit with boldness he is not afraid to die he is not afraid to go up to jerusalem he just knows that man i've been there already God already told me that I was going to go and this was going to happen and I am not going back there. I'm headed towards Rome. And so I appeal to Caesar. 
as he's standing there as this poor, pathetic prisoner. In a sense, he is challenging these poor, pathetic priests. (laughs) Saying, I'm not going to play your game. And those guys didn't even have the guts to stand for the truth. So some might think, well, Paul might have been afraid to go back to Jerusalem, but I think, was he really? Does he sound like a man who's afraid? He is not afraid. He has the Spirit of God in him. He knows that he has the victory already. And all these clowns that are sitting around him cannot do anything except God allows them to do it. He knows that. He is so confident in that. And so his appeal to Caesar was the right of every Roman citizen and he, he, he's appealing to the highest court in the land. And in one fell swoop, as he says that, as he says, I appeal to Caesar, in one fell swoop, he mops the floor with the Sanhedrin. He, he pulls the rug from under them. He took the wind from their sails and they were caught with their hand in the cookie jar. That's it. They could not do a thing about it anymore. And it's almost like, right on, Paul. Right on. You just show these guys who, who, who's up and what is up. I appeal to Caesar. Now, Caesar, it's interesting, a little side note here. The, the, Caesar is the word or a word or a title for emperor. And as I was looking at the word Caesar, I came across these Things, these other titles of Caesar. In German, it's called a Kaiser. And in Russian, it's a Tsar. Isn't that interesting? That's what a Caesar is. And Festus must have thought that his troubles were over as he appeals to Caesar. And he says, you have appeals to Caesar. And so when he says, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And, and he thought all his troubles were over, but now he's facing another trouble. Another problem. He can't just send someone to Caesar without some legitimate charges. And so he's, he's in a bind. Verse 20, uh, 13 to the end of the chapter. It says, And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When he had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. To to them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such thing as I supposed but had some questions about him, uh, against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirms to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such question, 
I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come in great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man who about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself has appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have, I may have something to write, for it seems to me unre- unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Again, he's kind of nervous because there's nothing to, to come against, to, to, to charge him with. But he knows that now he has to send him. And, and, and in this portion, we see a recount of, of all that has been going on with Paul. And, 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 and Festus recounts it as well. And, and now there's some new players on the scene. And I'd like to, before, as we close here, I'd like to give you a, a, some history about who these, these people are to give a clearer picture of, of who Paul would be standing before. King Agrippa is, is a Herod, which is a, a title. And the Herods were of Jewish descent. Uh, they had some Hebrew blood on the side of Esau, the, the, the son of, of Isaac, the half-brother of Jacob. That, they, they had that kind of lineage behind them. And they were given power by the Caesars to oversee the Jews. And they were considered Roman rulers. And this King Agrippa is King Agrippa II, the one that we're looking at right here. His dad, King Agrippa I, is the one that put, the, uh, put James, the Apostle James to death. And he had put Peter in jail before the doors opened and he escaped back in Acts chapter 12. So his dad is the one that killed James. His great grandfather, Herod the Great, is the one that had all the male children under two years old killed in in Bethlehem. King Agrippa II's great uncle, Herod Antipas, is the one that put John the Baptist to death, had him beheaded. He's the same one that, that Jesus stood before on the night of his, his betrayal, who wanted to see a sign. King Agrippa 
the first had three kids. Agrippa, the second here. Drusilla, who we saw last week, the wife of Felix. And, and Bernice, the one that we're reading about here. This is what uh, the, the historian Josephus says about Bernice. Her first husband, uh, she was married to a man named Marcus. And after, uh, to her uncle Herod, king of Calchius, Calchius, so anyway, who soon afterwards died. She later married Palomo, or Palomo, uh, king of Cilicia, but deserted him shortly after the wedding. Then she made her way back to Jerusalem where she lived with Agrippa II, her brother, whom she had had and continued to have ancestral relationships with. Bernice eventually became the mistress of a Roman emperor, um, Vespian, Vespian, and then after him, his son, Titus. It is said of Bernice and her sister Drusilla that these two were the most corrupt and shameful women of their time. This is, this is my part. This is the making of a reality show. <laughs> Keeping up with the Herodians <laughs> or something like that. And I'm sure it would work. But that's who Paul was, was having to face, these kinds of people. These people who had power to kill. These people who had power to destroy people's lives. They, they weren't no just like, uh, you know, two-bit king and sister. <laughs> Agrippa and, and, and Priscilla, or Agrippa and, and Bernice here, were, were, were people that, they were just wicked. Wicked people. And this is who he's standing before. And yet, Paul, knowing all their history, was not intimidated by them. And once again, he is brought out as a poor, pathetic prisoner. And they came in in all their great pomp. And the word pomp, I looked it up, is the word um, fantasia, which means a vain show, fantasy, showy appearance, display pomp Paul may have been the poor pathetic prisoner but they were the poor pathetic pompous prudes outwardly they looked great but inwardly they were poor pathetic perverted people posers you know it's interesting because again it just kind of shows us here that God had his hand upon these this man. No matter who was before him, he was not afraid. And he would not back down. The issue of the resurrection has, has surfaced a few times when he has had to stand before the council. And verse 19 gives us a glimpse that it wasn't just the issue of the resurrection. The question that kept on coming up was about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirms to be alive. That was the whole deal. 
the whole deal that these guys hated, the Sanhedrin hated. It wasn't just the resurrection. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whom they had put to death, and they knew it. And Paul says, I've seen him. I've talked to him. He's the one that leads me and guides me. I have his spirit living within me because he's very much alive. Guys, it is always about Jesus. He is always the issue. When people come against you, when people are putting you down, when they're putting themselves higher than you because of who you are as a Christian, it's not you. It's who you represent. Again, it just shows us once again that Jesus is the issue in everything that happens in our lives. And so we cannot back down. We cannot cower. We need to stand firm. Oh, we can't be foolish in in doing what we do, but we need to stand firm in the faith. And I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know if you're going through a, a dry time in your life. There's no time to give up. There's no time to, to, to just say, forget it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Where else are you going to go, honestly? Jesus is the only one. He really is. And it is his spirit that is in our lives that will move us forward. And we might not be able to see it right now, but stand firm. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you once again, and I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you that once again, Lord, God, as we look at this life of Paul and the things that he has been going through, Lord, I thank you, Lord, God, for the things that you kind of just showed me through this this chapter, Lord, God, of how you were always at work, Lord. You never stopped working in Paul's life, Lord, and even though it seemed like nothing was going on in his life, he was stagnant. He was in one place for two years and nothing happened. And yet, Lord God, you were always at work. You were putting people in place, Lord, that needed to be put in place. You were working behind the scenes when when Paul could not see, Lord. He was being discussed in other areas, in other arenas, Lord, and he had no clue. And yet, Lord, you were putting people in place. To put him before the king's that you had promised when when he first got saved that he would stand before them. And here it is, thirty some almost 30 years later, Lord, and he was standing before a king. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that, Lord, again, you never fail. You are always there, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord. Lord, I don't know what they're battling with right now. I don't know what they're dealing with. But help them, Lord, to stand firm. Help them not to give up, Lord God. Not to be discouraged, Lord, in this time. That they would continue to stay in your word and your fellowship. Bless them, I ask. Go with us now, I pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Let's stand.